We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Back to 755 Forever. I am David O'Brien, Braves writer at The Athletic. I'm with former Braves reliever and my co-host, Eric O'Flaherty. What's happening, Eric? How you doing out in Washington, man? A little cold out there? Yeah, it's cold. It's been in the low tens, you know, 5, 10 degrees for about a week. But good mix-up, man. Winter gets a little slow, so I'm not minding it. Man, I just went back to Kansas City and Lawrence to KU for a basketball game on Saturday. And I hit, like, the coldest snap they've had in years And it was minus nine. And when I went to the game, it was like two degrees and a minus 29 windshield. So walking from the car to Allen Fieldhouse was a bit bitter. I don't remember it being quite that cold when I was walking on campus back when I was in school there. My fingers got a little cold. Then you get inside and they got the heat cranked up to 85 degrees and you got to take everything off. Well, they don't even need heat there. It's so warm in that place. It was awesome, though. And uh, had some great barbecue in Kansas City, saw my brother's new house. But anyway, it felt like winter. It's kind of a reminder. I like when it gets cold like that because it's a reminder that spring training is just around the corner and what it's going to be like to get down to Florida and when you start hearing the crack of the bat and all that. So, I mean, it's just around the corner now. We're inside of a month and spring training is going to go. And the Braves have basically got their team together that they're going to have. You know how it goes in January, February. Alex always typically adds – your Kevin Pillars, guys like that, the non-roster invitees. And two or three of those guys will end up, at least two or three, will end up having big impacts on this team. You know, they'll be kind of afterthoughts when they do them. Oh, here's another non-roster invitees. But those are big guys, man. They Some of those guys end up being impactful. Those invites late in your career are just as much to see how you kind of respond to the clubhouse, how the clubhouse responds to you, how you work, what example you're setting. And just find in any way you can contribute because teams always want a guy or two like that on the team. So you get one of them in there. They hit all right in spring training and the dudes love them. It's like we can carry them for a month and see if this thing works out. And then you got a minor leaguer or two that's that's on tap ready to fill that spot if they fail. Yeah, I mean, last year, I'm just thinking of the guys that, uh, you know, that came in out of nowhere and made a big impacts like Michael Tonkin. Remember for a while he was carrying a bullpen for a while there. And then Kevin Pillar ended up having a big, big role. And he came in as a non-roster guy that they kept because uh, he had an opt-out. And if he, he would have gone somewhere else, if they didn't put him on a roster, ended up being in a platoon in left field basically with Rosario. So, And there were other guys, you know, the center fielder that filled in for Harris for a while. And there are a lot of guys that, uh, that at the time just seemed like, okay, why are they getting him? But there's a reason because you're going to need all that depth, especially in the pitching staff. I've told the story on here before, but one year at the start of the season, I was talking to Rick Ankel about a breaking ball, and he wasn't even pitching anymore. It had been however many years. He told me this thing. He shortens up on his breaking ball, and I tried it in my bullpen that day, and I was like, that's pretty good. That clicks. And I wrote it for the whole season. So the guys that have been around forever, you know, they have a lot of these little shortcuts and things they can say that, you know, they speak the same language as you as a baseball player that might click and resonate and help guys out. So I mean, if I was a GM, I'd always be trying to have, you know, as much experience around as I can without, you know, sacrificing, you know, production on the field. 
There were a flurry of moves by the Braves this offseason. I know from a fan's perspective, or some fans I know wanted them to get that frontline starting pitcher. That was all the talk, the buzz coming out of the division series loss, when for the second year in a row, the Braves were kind of uh, undermined by pitching injuries and or illness. So a lot of people thought the Braves were going to go out and get a frontline starter. Well, the price of those starters in this year, it was a real seller's market in that there were about 10 or 12 teams looking for a frontline starter. And there were only about six or eight really that fit that bill. And you're going to have to overpay to get those guys, whether it be in prospect capital in a trade or pay 25 to 30 million sometimes for a starter who's probably on the downside of his career. You're paying for what he's done rather than what he's probably going to do three or four years from now. Well, Alex Anthopoulos is not that kind of guy that's going to be handcuffed by long-term deals for aging pitchers or anybody that's questionable. And they don't have enough prospect capital to really clean it out any further by going to trade for a guy like a Corbin Burns or Dylan Cease. Those would have cost a lot of prospects, and the Braves don't have a lot of them right now. They're trying to rebuild the farm system. Well, end result, Braves go out and get late in the offseason, just a few weeks ago, Chris Sale. And... It has risk, for sure. The long-time former Sox, perennial AL Cy Young candidate, top five finishes like six years in a row with the White Sox and the Red Sox. Been hurt in recent years with the Red Sox, including Tommy John surgery and various other injuries. Most of them fluky type things. But last year made 20 starts, and the last 15 of those 20s were really good. So this is a trade that could end up being one of those Alex Anthopoulos ones that you go, Wow, nobody saw that coming, and it ends up being a huge deal for the Braves. And I thought that trade and the Jared Kelnick to get the outfielder, Jared Kelnick from the Mariners, who you're real familiar with, Jared Kelnick, I thought those were the two really big deals of the offseason trades that kind of uh, were very creative and showed what Alex Anthopoulos, what makes him so good at putting together a team. The sale one's huge for me just because he has the ability to absolutely dominate. The ability to come out and be unhittable. They're starting pitchers that are really good, and they're your number one or two all year, but they face a tough lineup, and it's kind of a coin flip. When Sale has his stuff and he's on, I mean, he's as good as anybody in the game, and he's still got his velocity. He finished the last season strong. He's got an edge to him, too. You know, like he's a guy that you see wanting the ball in that big situation, not backing down. He's got some history of getting pissed off. Like, I like that. Some people, that that scares them a little bit for me. I want that guy out there with the game on the line or, or a big start and that ability to just completely shut down any hitter. When he's on, there's not a hitter in the game that's going to be comfortable. Yeah, that's the thing is uh, people that, you know, he's been all his, his whole career has been in the AL. So a lot of Braves fans who aren't real familiar with him, especially because he was with the White Sox, didn't see him a lot when he was there, unless you're hardcore and watch a lot of highlights and dig into this stuff. But people that do do that know how dominant he is. You were referencing it. He's up there one or two all time for pitchers with a thousand innings or more all time for strikeout rate. This is a guy that struck out 11 batters per nine innings for his career. And he did that again last year. So last year when he was healthy last year, he was the same guy as far as strikeout. I know the, the ERA was not there last year, but the Braves, again, credit to Alex and his analytics team. They look a lot deeper into this stuff than, than you might've before you had an analytics team of a dozen or 15 guys in there and and women studying all this stuff. And Alex being an open-minded, creative guy that doesn't just look at the one-loss record in ERA like maybe they would have back in the day. He wasn't scared by that 4-3-0 ERA last year. This is a guy with a 3-1-0 career ERA. And the secondary numbers, the analytics, said last year that he was a lot better than his ERA was. And especially because that ERA was blown up by the first five starts. He's right there at his career ERA for those last 15, not much above that. And like I said, he averaged 11.0 strikeouts per nine last year. Career rate is 11.1. And this is a guy that six years in a row was top five finisher in the Cy Young. And the year before that, he was sixth. You don't see that very often. For me, I look at the angle. If you think about Madison Bumgarner as he started to age, he was still effective because he had that angle. Sales got that angle. He's got a unique angle. He's got an angle that guys don't see. And to go on top of that, he's been a high 90s velocity guy with a dirty slider. I think his changeup's all right. I don't think it's, you know, a knockout pitch, but just that, that different angle is something that guys don't even get to see enough to, 
to really get comfortable with. And those are the type of things that as guys age, they don't really, that doesn't slump when you still have the angle. So you still have this kind of an edge on hitters and, and an advantage just because of that. Now, if he has his velocity still, I mean, that's, that's why you strike out 11 per nine as a starter and have a career three RA. Yeah. He still throws mid nineties. I mean, he can get it up there above 95 still for sure. Got that slider devastating. He's been described to me by a couple of catchers told me he's like a, a slightly shorter Randy Johnson with a lanky left-hander coming at you. The pitcher hitters just don't see that. Very uncomfortable, especially against lefties. But lefties and righties, the way that ball is sweeping in with that angle you were talking about and being six foot six, all arms and elbows because he's real lanky, real long-limbed. So it's a very different look than anybody else that hitters are going to see and especially different than all the other Braves. I mean, you got Max Free left-hander with the big 12-6 curve, throws mid-90s. You got Charlie Morton, right-hander with the big curveball, still throws mid-90s. And you got Spencer Strider, the best strikeout artist in the major leagues right now with over 13 in every nine innings. So, I mean, that's a foursome right there. Then you add with this cast of guys you've got competing for the fifth spot, including Bryce Elder, who was an all-star in the first half last year. Before he just petered out, man, he got, uh, he didn't have the, I don't think he was strong enough to work out routine. He didn't quite know how to formulate that for a full season. And now he knows, and I'm sure he spent this off season preparing to go seven months, eight months instead of what happened last year, which was down the stretch last couple of months. He was not the same guy that he was before the all-star break before the break. This guy was the best pitcher they had or the most consistent pitcher that they had. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I wouldn't give up on him or, or write him off just because of a tough second half. You know, I remember it was actually, it was Norm Charlton told me, he's like, your first full major league season, you know, you used to be being done late August. And when you get to August and you only have a month left, you kind of get the second win where it's like, I just got to push, I got to push, I got to push. But when you get to August and you're tired and you got two months left, it's kind of like, how am I going to get through this? You know, I mean, it, it's just a different mindset. I hit late July or August my first season and I had like a 3-2 ERA and finished the year with like a four and a half. You don't feel tired, but the ball just comes out a little, little different. And pitches that weren't getting hit in April, May, you know, early June, all of a sudden they're just able to barrel them and you're like, shit, I'm hitting the same button. I don't feel terrible, but the ball's getting hit now. And it, it just comes down to awareness and then just have them put your body through it a few times your body adapts and gets used to it. So I, I think more than anything, I mean, he's just got to go through it a few times and he'll figure out how to make those adjustments. But your first time through it, I mean, it's all, you're learning, it's all new. Yeah, and I think it was accentuated by the fact that this is a guy who gets by with control, with command of five pitches, pinpoint accuracy. He's way under the good fastball rate in the major leagues right now. He's low 90s. I mean, but he's a guy that he showed that he, it wasn't fluky. He showed he can be successful at that at throwing low 90s, but he's got to have that accuracy and he's got to locate and keep the ball down. And he wasn't keeping it down when he got tired in the second half. And with his velocity, he was getting torched, man, some games when he just didn't have that same command. Well, and maybe not the same movement, you know, maybe, maybe the movement wasn't as, as tight and late and, and sharp and he's starting the ball in the same spot. And instead of dropping below the knee, it stays slightly above the knee. And and for hitters, that difference, they can lift the ball now. Instead of a hard ground ball to shortstop, it's a line driving the gap. So you make those adjustments. You realize, like, shit, I'm getting hit. I got to start it lower. But, you know, movement on a sinker is not something you can necessarily see. You kind of read the swings off the hitter and their reactions to it. And he gets rewarded all year long for having balls, for being 3-2 to a cleanup hitter and saying, I'm starting the sinker middle and I'm trusting this pitch and letting it do its work. And then you get to late August and it doesn't do its work and it just stays middle. And now you give up a three spot. So now you kind of go through it and you start to learn, okay, I got to start this thing a little lower because the shit's ending up middle and make those adjustments. But it's just a process and it's something that every player goes through. He's not going to not have balls and he's not going to not know how to pitch. He's just got to learn how to pitch when he's tired and recognize when he's tired. And then you're going to have, you got a couple of 21 year olds who, are really promising. We saw Smith Shaver, AJ Smith Shaver. We saw a few starts from him last year where he looked like he is a future one or two. I mean, got an incredible arm and you got to keep telling yourself because it's hard to believe, but he's only been pitching for four years now, pitching at all. He wasn't a pitcher in high school until after his junior year in high school, went straight from high school to the pro to pro ball. 
So, I mean, that's unheard of. These Most of these guys, kids today have been travel balling it for a decade before they get to the major leagues, man. His ceiling is so vast that he's he was all but untouchable for Alex Anthopoulos this offseason. And it would have taken most teams that were calling when the Braves were saying, you know, checking in on this pitcher or that pitcher or this position guy. Most teams wanted Smith Shaver and Alex wasn't going to give him up. Because it's hard to justify if you're Alex and, and his guys – they know this guy better than other teams do. It's hard to justify giving up a guy who might become an ace for you for six seasons at least of control in the major leagues to get a guy who's got one or two years left under his contract. For a team that, you know, you want to look to save where you can, it's hard to give up pitching like that when you think he's really got frontline potential. Well, especially when he's only been pitching for four years. Like this guy doesn't – you can have a high school and especially a college guy at the same age – they're going to be so much farther along in their ability to make adjustments and, and clean things up than a guy that's only been pitching for four years. Yeah, and a perfect example is the other guy that they're looking at who's probably going to be a, have debut this year, Hurston Waldrop, was in college last year. But he's a guy that had three years of college, the last of those at Florida. And he worked on his split, and he's got this devastating split that we saw in the College World Series that he made good hitters look foolish with aluminum bats or composite bats, whatever it is they use uh, in college ball now. You don't see that split very much anymore, and it's nasty, and he throws hard too. So you got those two guys, 21, 22 years old. You got Waskari Noah, who's going to be healthy from day one of spring training. People forget how good he was before he did the foolish thing and punched the bench and broke his hand, but he was very good. Now he's coming back from Tommy John. And then you got Ian Anderson coming back around the All-Star break. So that's just some of the guys that they've got competing for that fifth spot. I mean, I like their depth, man. I really do. Especially the fact that those two young guys, you're not talking about old guys you're hoping can hang on. Maybe it's like you were last year. These young guys, there's no reason to think that they won't be healthy and competing. You just need one or two of them to click, too. You know, it's not like you're banking on one guy to have a big year or you have this hole in the fifth spot. It's like... It sucks to be in that position as a young starter where every start has to be a good one or we got another guy on tap that will just fill into that spot. But that's kind of what separates guys too. Like Elder himself last year started the year in AAA and he's throwing the best. So he winds up getting into the rotation and, and getting that job and the other guys didn't have their good starts at the right time. Competition's a good thing. That went overlooked uh, late in the season as his success went on and he made the All-Star team. Is this a guy that was the AAA opening day starter? And then he was made the Major League All-Star game. And I didn't even mention a couple of the other guys that are also competing for that. And we'll see. In the past few years, we've seen the Braves use like 11, 12 starters at least over the course of a year. That's their plan again because you got now you've got 40-year-old Charlie Morton. They picked up his option, $20 million. And you got Chris Sale, 34, who's had a lot of injuries, so he hadn't pitched a lot of innings. So you're going to limit. You're going to make sure – you don't go too deep with him right off the bat, especially. And they're going to build in rest days for these guys. And they've done that expertly the last few years by bringing up guys from the minor leagues, optionable guys, bringing them up for one start or a couple of starts. Doubleheader. Giving guys rest. So it's just the game's changed so much. These guys it used to be four days rest was normal. Now five days is more normal, even though technically you got a five-man rotation still. It ends up being effectively a six-man rotation. Yeah, I think part of that's just the fact that the zone's gotten smaller and everybody's throwing harder. You know, I mean, you could get by in the major leagues throwing at 80% effort level in the past. Now it's like, I mean, you have to come into the box. That box you see on TV, you got to be in it. You used to be able to kind of nibble and get by and then, you know, show off your 95 late in the game for that last push. And a lot of guys are starting out the game right there, you know, but 95% effort level and you need more recovery when you're throwing that hard. Yeah. And there's some other guys too. For depth, they got Dylan Dodd, Alan Winans. You got some other guys. Uh, it's promising. I know they didn't get the sexy frontline starter that a lot of Braves fans hoped they would, but I really like what they've done. And if Chris Sell's healthy, I think he's better than almost anybody you could have got out there with what you talked about, the edge that he has. Everybody I've talked to that played with him or against him said, no, this guy, you want this guy. He is as competitive or more competitive than anybody they've played with, according to – I talked to A.J. Brzezinski, and I talked to uh, Tyler Flowers, who both caught him in Chicago. He said best teammate they ever had. Because fans just hear he scissored up. He cut up a uh, alternate jersey that he didn't want the team to wear. I love that. <laughs> and they think, oh, he's a troublemaker. 
teammates said, yeah, we didn't want to wear that piece of crap, you know? Yeah, you think there was a single teammate upset that day when they didn't have to wear those? Exactly. So it's different. And that's the most important thing that Alex, uh, when he's vetting these guys, is how they're going to fit in the clubhouse. And he made sure, I mean, that uh, that they had done a thorough vetting of this guy to make sure that he's going to fit in this atmosphere that they've created here. Team chemistry has been one of their biggest strengths now for three, four years, but especially the last, since the World Series year. And it's only gotten better every year. And that's why a guy like uh, Charlie Morton, who still has plenty on the field, but also contributes so much off the field. Now you got these two veterans with Sale and Morton, who are very different personalities. But to have the young guys watch both of these guys who work their asses off, you know, at this stage of their career, they're still out there, except nothing but giving everything they've got, trying to squeeze the last bit that they had of their arms. These are guys are set a perfect example for these young pitchers. And there's so many in the system that they see, they're going to see these guys working at spring training and go, that's the way it's done. That's what's expected of me. And buying in and wanting to win is contagious. You know, I mean, it's especially early in your career when you're, when you're a young guy, it's really easy to lose a tough game and be patting yourself on the shoulder because it went well for you. You know, I came in, I threw my shutout inning. I'm going to sleep well tonight. Then you sit down at the table and you sit next to Chris Sale and he didn't pitch. He had nothing to do with the game and he's pissed off. He's pissed off about some call or some play or something that didn't go the team's way. You start to feel like, you know, bad about yourself. Like, all right, I'm pretty selfish here. Like, I need to get on board with this. And the more guys you have that are just dogs and want to win, the more that's going to rub off on you. And and you want to make your teammates proud and you want to be one of the guys. So you just naturally start thinking like that. So you fill a clubhouse up with those guys. There's not going to be many selfish dudes that are just punching the clock left because, you're going to look at yourself different when you're feeling a certain way that you know you shouldn't. You know who's going to love this? Spencer Strider. He's going to love seeing Chris Sale care so much and get so pissed off because Strider is the guy that after they lost in Philly said, we got to do something different because how we're preparing for this playoffs is not getting it done. We got to do something, reevaluate what we're doing. I mean, he was pissed. Strider was pissed after, and he didn't hold back. We got nobody to blame but ourselves. And, and you know, me personally, I didn't, I didn't, wasn't good enough. So, you know, I can tell you this, though, that we're going to give everything we have over the next year to getting back to this position and making sure that we, uh, we don't have it happen this way again. And I think he's going to love seeing a guy that just gets just as pissed as him and isn't afraid to say so. And the more you have, the stronger the message is. I think they'll have his locker right over there by Chris Sales at, at spring training and during the season. It won't, will not surprise me at all. Hey, before we go any further here, this is our new podcast, you guys, where it used to be. 755 is real, rebranded, independent now, and our uh, email address, if you guys want to send in any questions or any any comments you got, 755forevpodcast at gmail.com, 755, the numbers, foreverpodcast at gmail.com. We're going to have some merchandise available soon, some t-shirts and probably some hoodies. We'll start with that and hope you guys will scoop some of that stuff up. I know you wanted it when we had the last podcast. Some people asked about it. So we're going to have it and uh, it should be available before long. And we're going to start. We're going to go on uh, YouTube again live, starting with our next show next week, which is going to be after the Hall of Fame announcement on Tuesday. So we're going to go Tuesday night. Next Tuesday night, we'll have a next show. And then uh, we'll do one a week during spring training, probably. And then we'll go to one after every series is what we're going to start with during the season. So that'll give us a chance to talk about all the games and set up the next series and that kind of thing. So it should be really cool. I hope you guys are, will enjoy what we're doing here. What can you say about killing it for people that really talk about being out of the loop? A lot of guys down here who've watched the Braves, you don't get many West coast games. And when you do, it's the Dodgers or Anaheim with, uh, you know, the guys that Anaheim has had the most two high profile players in a game with, with the angels. They had a lot of games on TV, even when they sucked, but the Dodgers were on all the time. It seemed like we don't get many Mariners games down here. So people forget how good Jared Kelnick, the outfielder that the Braves got, who's only 24. They forget this was a consensus top five prospect in baseball a few years ago. And last year, first 45 games, he was that guy that they were waiting for him to be, that five-tool player that can do really everything on a field. The Mariners gave up the farm to get him, and he came with a lot of hype. He had a lot of hype when he was coming up with the Mets. 
for me, he just fits the mold of one of those guys that the expectations were too big. You know, he had expectations that you can't possibly live up to. Rarely do you see it. Rarely do you see, you know, Hayward's first season on a guy that's got that much hype. Acuna's first season. Most of the time, I mean, no matter how talented you are, you go through some growing pains. You have to learn the league. And I think, you know, he just got into a situation where he was trying to live up to those expectations and and it becomes a distraction. I think the beauty of it is he comes to Atlanta. We're talking about him, but it's not a big deal. So it gives him a chance to just blend in. He's got all the talent in the world. I mean, five tools, freak athlete, left-handed power, good outfielder. I could see easily him having 20 homers by the break or 15 by the break and and having a blow-up season and and kind of being a story, but I don't know if there's anything he can do to be that big of a story in Atlanta because he's going to have to compete with Acuna, Olsen coming over, Riley, Strider, all these other stories going on. And, And for the Mariners, it was a big focal point among the fan base. And I just think with young players, like once that pressure's put on you, if you don't succeed right away and early, it's really easy to fall back into that here we go again or, or, or I'm failing or I'm letting the team down. It's hard to feel good about where you're at at any point unless you're just you know lighting the world on fire. You know, I don't think that can be overstated, the importance of him coming over here and not having the pressure. I don't think that he could come over here and possibly feel any pressure because he's a guy that the Mariners have basically given up on. They said, all right, we waited. But he's coming over here to the Braves with the left field job to lose, but he is the seventh or eighth guy in this offense at the most. Not going to be used to that. He was batting cleanup for the Mariners last year on a team that's got a superstar in the outfield. He comes over here, and he's an afterthought. The expectations are going to be pretty low over here from Braves fans, and the team will be happy if this guy goes out, plays solid defense, hits 270, 280, with, with 20 25 bombs. homers. They, yeah. would be, they would be perfectly Thrilled. happy with that. Yeah. And he's yeah. capable of doing a lot more than that, too. But as long as he hits a little bit from both sides, just solid enough, and plays good defense, that's all they need from him. He's going to come over here, and I bet he's hitting seventh in the lineup, maybe eighth, because Michael Harris loves hitting ninth. And you got one of the best hitting catchers in baseball in Murphy. I mean, the only guy that he might be better than offensively on this team right now, maybe, is Arcia, the shortstop. And R.C. at times can hit, too. So, But, I mean, he's going to be at the bottom of the order over here, so he is not going to feel that pressure at all. When he's watching Acuna, Riley, Olsen at the top of that order. That's going to be the focal point of the other team when they're prepping to play you, too. You know, and it's easy to fall asleep. You see it all the time. You get to the bottom of the Braves' order, and all of a sudden they just turn it over and Acuna's up with the bases loaded. It's easy to kind of just fly under the radar and put up your numbers and and nobody really notice in Atlanta. I don't I don't think I can't think of a better situation for him to fall into honestly at this point in his career. Yeah, I mean, he's uh Acuña, Riley, Olson, Harris, Ozzy, Murphy and Darno. Ozuna. <laughs> like Ozuna. Yeah, for I'm I'm going through the diamond in my head, but I forget DH. Yeah, Ozuna 40 homers, 100 ribbies last year. I mean, his team is so jacked and loaded offensively that he can come over here. And like I said, if he's just a piece of the puzzle, he had a better OPS plus last year than Rosario did. And that's with missing two months in the middle of the season when he kicked a cooler. Talk about an edge. This is a guy that's got an edge. Said he's learned to rein it in a little bit, that he knows a little better to pick his spots now. Kind of like Chris Sell has learned as he's gotten older. Although Sell said, yeah, I'm still that guy's fiery. I'm gonna, I want to win. If that rubs people the wrong way, Sell said, so be it. But I want to win. That's all that matters. And Kelnick wants to win too. And I know he wants to realize his potential. And he got so frustrated last year that when he was slumping, he kicked a cooler, broke his foot. He was balling. He was crying next day when they're talking to him because he felt like he'd let the team down so much. I feel terrible. Especially for the guys. I just, I let the motions get the best of me and I just, I let them down. I liked seeing it, that he cared that much. And I think he probably learned a huge lesson from that. Probably like Waskar, you know, he did. There's nothing to be gained from kicking or punching an inanimate object. Got a frustration. But just as a reminder or to give some people some idea of what Kelnick's capable of, last year, first 45 games of the year, this kid hit 297, 350 OBP, 914 OPS, 10 home runs, 12 doubles. 25 RBIs in the first 45 games of the year. A 914 OPS. That's what he's capable of doing, man. He's a stud, and he can play the outfield, and he's got a good arm. 
Well, and there's there's so much benefit to being part of a just a devastating offense like the Braves have lurking down there in the seven hole versus being in the four hole with not a lot of backing because the Mariners did not have a strong offensive team. You know, they were all pitching and find a way to scrap across some runs and win some games. You got T-Mobile is not a hitter's park. Even though they've moved the fences in, the ball just does not fly. Now you're going to one of the strongest offenses in the game. You're going to be maybe not an afterthought, but not a focal point for the other team's pitching. You're going to have a good hitter behind you, regardless of who it is. And the ball will get out of Truist or SunTrust, whatever it's called now. It'll get out of there easy. It's at least fair where Seattle, I mean, it's easy. If you ever watch Adrian Beltre's career, he had a few rough seasons and they were all at Safeco. Yeah, it's fair. And at times, depending on the weather, it can be a hitter's part for sure. And the other thing is defensively, this has the potential to be the best overall outfield in the majors and definitely one of the top three. With Michael Harris, Roman center field, I mean, this is a guy that's going to start winning gold gloves soon, for sure. With Ronald Acuna in right field, who was healthy last year and showed again that he's solid defensively with a, with a hose for an arm. And now you add Kelnick in left field because Kelnick's played center and right in his career. You got three guys that could play center, and you're spreading them out. And he can shift over there. Yeah, he can shift over there if you need him to. You don't have to stick a guy like Pilar in center to fill in if something happens. So great trade, I thought, and another under-the-radar Alex Anthopoulos. And while we're on the subject, we got to talk about as big as those two deals were, the biggest, I think, signing for the Braves this offseason was Hook. And we talked about this before. I said they need to do whatever it takes to lock up Alex Anthopoulos long-term because that is so important. It's been so crucial to this Braves franchise getting it turned around since the Coppola debacle when he got banned for life, since reinstated for all the infractions. Alex Anthopoulos stepped in at that time at 2017 winter meetings and took over a team that was going to be locked out of international free agency for three or four years, severe bans, gave up draft picks, and all the Braves have done since he took over is win the division every single year. Six straight division titles, 101 and 104 wins the last two years after winning the World Series in 2021. He's got them on such sound footing because the long-term extensions they gave out have the Braves in a better position to compete long-term than any team in baseball. Any team. So what they do last last week, the Braves signed, and I told people asked me about Anthopolis in the last year of his contract, are the Dodgers going to come in and get him? Are the Giants going to come to Boston? I said, the guy loves it here, man. He's Canadian, but he loves it here. And why would he leave? Because the Braves have the money. When they want to spend it, their payroll is now top five. Well, they knew how crucial it was to keep him. They signed him to an extension. He's only 46. That's going to keep him here through 2031. You got guys locked up at seven or eight positions for multiple years, some of them for five, six years into the future. And now you got Anthopolis locked up for even longer than that. That was a, a huge, huge deal for the Braves to do that and not have to worry about some teams coming in and scooping him up. If you're an owner, maybe from a fan standpoint, you could nitpick a thing here or two. Oh, he didn't go out and get a frontline guy or whatever. But when you're an owner and a dude built a juggernaut for 50, 60 cents on the dollar, we're doing whatever we have to do to keep you as long as possible. Get comfy. From his standpoint, I did the baseball thing, man. Moving sucks, especially when you have a family and your kids are going to school and you're you're moving your kids away from their friends. You're selling a house. You're packing up. And then you win in every year. Why wouldn't he want to stay? So, I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer, I think, on all sides. Yeah, he's got the chance to do here. You know, he's already set the blueprint that other teams are trying to follow now by signing guys. That's him. I mean, he did that by signing as many of their young players as they can to long-term deals. That takes some balls because you got to be – you got to risk one of those contracts blowing up in your face. But that goes back to the vetting that they do all the way down to the draft stages – bring the right people in. Then after you've observed them for a while, and it didn't take long with Harris, they watched him for two or three months up in a major league clubhouse. And they said, you know what? We got no doubts about this kid's talent, about his mentality, about his attitude. We're signing him long-term. We're giving him a hundred million long-term. We don't care. We know he's the guy. Same thing with Strider. They didn't wait. They said, why wait? I mean, there's always going to risk guys going to get hurt, but that's not going to change. But you've seen a guy that you know you want to part of your organization. So lock him up because, like you said, you get him 50, 60 cents on a dollar rather than waiting two or three years when the price has gone up 
it just makes so much sense. And I think other teams see that and are trying to do the same thing now with their guys. But Dallas has already got it done. They're covered, man, at every position, basically. And now with Kelnick, that was the other thing I didn't mention. He's got five years of control. Think about what he's been through. You know, you don't think he'll sign a, a – he's been through it. He's been up in the majors. He's been sent down. He struggled at the majors. Had to ask himself those questions. Am I going to make it back? Am I as good as they say? Blah, blah, blah. You give him a chance to sign that guaranteed money after that journey. Probably same deal. Yeah, and they bring in Sale. It was, again, Alex being aggressive. They get Sale, and within a week of getting him, he's got one year left on his contract, $27.5 million this year, of which Boston was paying $17 million. So what do the Braves do? They double down on it, show him how much we believe in you. You don't have to worry about going out there this year and your next contract's riding on this and stressing yourself and wanting to pitch more innings because your next contract counts on it. We're saying we're so confident in you. He gives them a two-year extension brings down the AAV, they give him two years, $38 million. So when you combine the $17 million Boston gave him for this year, the Braves are paying him five hundred grand this year. <laughs> yeah, I think that's something that gets overlooked constantly is just the value in giving your players comfort and certainty. Having that, I have to have a good year. I'm a free agent versus I got three years left. When you have that rough April, you got all the time in the world to clean it up. You're not going to press. The only downside, the only the if you're just looking at character, you got to look at the guys and be like, is this a dude that's going to shut it down when he gets paid? And that's where all the vetting and, and talking to your coaches and figuring out what this guy's made of, what motivates him, that's where it comes into play. But I mean, every single dude that they've signed long term, I mean, you look at them, they work hard and they want to win, and they've got all the talent. You know, I mean, I think you're going to hit on more contracts than not when you're looking at their personalities. And there's a few guys in the game that you can watch him play and be like, if this dude gets an extension, he is going to shut it down. But the Braves didn't sign any of those guys. Yeah, the new contract, he gets $16 million and twenty-four, and a $20 million club option for 2025, $22 million next year. So, I mean, it's a great deal for the Braves. If he's healthy, it's going to be a steal. If he's not, hey, you can absorb that if it's not. But uh, they did this with J.D., with Josh Donaldson, when they gave him the one-year deal when he was coming off the two injury injury seasons. He's trying to reestablish himself, and he went out and had a great year with the Braves. And then they didn't make the mistake of re-upping with him because they knew, you know, he's injury-prone. He's getting older. So they got a great year out of him with Sale. He's 34. And like I said, he had the TJ a few years ago. But the other injuries have been kind of weird thing. He's coming off the scapula last year. He had a stress reaction in the scapula of his pitching shoulder. And he said he's been on a hardcore shoulder routine this winter. You having been through shoulder stuff, can you see where, I mean, it wasn't a rotator cuff. It wasn't the labrum. It was a scapula. You know, the funky delivery, and he's a thin guy. So he really knows the importance of keeping that really strong this winter. And he said he's been throwing long toss and throwing bullpens already and staying on the shoulder routine, and he feels great. This first normal offseason he's had in several years. Yeah, I mean, he's just at that age where you kind of get those reality checks that, you know, if there's more important things to do than, than the running in the weight room, like it comes down to all these little muscles you've been neglecting. And none of these guys went to school for – you know, rehab PT type of stuff. So you don't think of it. You do what you've always done. The injury pops up. When this injury, when I get sore here, here's the exercise I need to do and you add them to your arsenal. But there's not a lot of preventative stuff that can come up for a scap injury. So you just kind of learn how to take care of that and you do it. And it's like, I can't believe I feel this good from this dumb exercise. Alex Santopoulos is saying, he, so he's here through 2031. I'm going to go real quickly through what Alex did this winter because it was a flurry of moves that a lot of them at the time seemed like, okay, scratch your head. Because he did all kinds of machinations to make those things work, bringing Kelnick in, shifting money around, dumping salary, taking on bad contracts, moving bad contracts. There were a lot of things going on, but just a quick rundown. And we haven't even mentioned the thing that they did in the offseason that was the point of emphasis for Alex was strengthening this bullpen to get where the team in 2021 won the World Series, not with great starts. They got a few good starts in that postseason, some really good ones. But overall, it was the bullpen, and it was the trio of left-handers they had that carried them through the World Series that year and then get some big hits, some clutch hits from Eddie Rosario in the NLCS when he was MVP, Jack Peterson in the uh, – in LDS against Milwaukee when he had three pinch hit home runs. And then in the World Series, Soler he misses the LCS because of uh, COVID and comes back and has a huge couple of huge home runs in a World Series. 
Dansby, Freddie throughout had big hits. But anyway, the bullpen, though, was lights out that winter, came together, and you lean really on three guys. And it was Will Smith, and it was A.J. Mentor, who's still here, and it was Matzik. Mentor's still here. Matzik's coming back from TJ, and the Braves were cautious with him. He's going to be full strength from day one. He missed the entire season, plus a lot of the previous season. So if you get Matzik back, Mentor's back, and the guys that they've added, they didn't pick up the options. They let some guys go from the bullpen who weren't hard throwers. Alex saw what hard throwers can do when the Phillies shut down the Braves in, in the NLDS, and he went out and fortified this bullpen and put together what is potentially the deepest and best pin in the in the NL, if not the majors. I mean, it is a really deep bullpen from lefty and righty, both sides. And being deep allows you to rest, guys. I mean, that's that's the biggest thing overall is is not having to throw mentor an inning in two thirds because you're up by one and they got four lefties coming up. You know, well, guess what? We got another lefty. We can give him a day off or we can have him each throw two thirds of an inning and, and mix another guy in there. The more guys you can have that you rely on. I mean, you can look at us in 2011. I think it's a perfect example of a lights out pen that wasn't, wasn't super deep. You know, we were, there was three of us that were throwing if we were up by one or two and it was every time. And then we hit September and it all fell apart. I think if you can rest your relievers and keep them fresh and, and you're not looking at a, a six month season, if you're the Braves, you're, you're looking at that extra month and 10, 20 days that you have to keep these relievers fresh for and throw the biggest innings of the year. That's when you want them your best. So as, as deep as you can get, the better. Yeah. And you don't want to have to lean as heavily in the postseason either on three guys as you did in 2021. Matzik showed it the next year. He got TJ surgery the next year. Those guys were pitching almost every game in that postseason, especially Matzik. Anyway, so November 16th, he goes out. Alex goes out and gets Aaron Bummer from the White Sox, the big hard-throwing veteran lefty. That's the guy they targeted. Again, people look at the ERA from last year and go, why him? But then look at the secondary numbers. Nasty. This is the guy they wanted. They targeted him, and they went and got him. They gave up five players, all guys who were going to be the salaries too high in the case of Nicky Lopez for a middle infielder. Or guys that just didn't figure to be impactful here. Michael Soroka. I hated seeing him go, but he was out of options and the Braves weren't going to use a roster spot when he's been trying year after year to come back from the twice torn Achilles and some various other injuries along the way. So they finally cut the cord with him. They trade Soroka and Jared Schuster, another fringe guy that would really been just competing for fifth starter here, nothing more. Nicky Lopez, whose salary was gone up in arbitration. Braden Shoemaker, an aging, no longer a top prospect because of his age and AAA regression last year. Another infielder. And minor league righty Riley Gowans. That's who they gave up to get Bummer. Okay. Then they bring in the next day, they trade injured starter Kyle Wright. Another guy I hated to see go was 21 game winner two years ago, but he's coming off a shoulder injury. He's going to miss the entire 24 season. And the shoulder, as you know, better than most people, is a lot more iffy coming back from than the elbow. Tommy John, people pretty much know what you're going to do coming back from Tommy John's shoulder. Nobody knows what a guy's going to do coming back from his shoulder. You know what's crazy is I I still get shoulder pain. I mean, just I'll throw wiffle balls with my kids. I work with some high school kids. I'll be playing. My elbow since Tommy John has never hurt again. Once I got to the point where it stopped hurting and fully healed, the thing feels bulletproof. But my shoulder, it takes just you know, one day where I maybe did some bench press in the morning and go play catch and that thing's lit up. I got off the mound in June, just messing around, showing my son some stuff and my shoulder hurt until <laughs> like early November. His shoulders are, I mean, you, those things get out of whack and, and roll forward or, or get pissed off. It can take, especially like capsule stuff like Kyle had, your capsule gets stretched out. No good. Not good, man. I hope he comes back. He's going to get a chance with the Royals. They signed him long. Obviously they traded for him in hopes that he'll be ready in 2025 to be impactful for them. And he'll get every opportunity there that he wasn't going to get here. They traded him for Jackson Cower, okay? Three days later, November 20th, the Braves signed free agent pitcher, and this was a huge one. Ronaldo Lopez signed him for three years, $30 million. Eric, I'm not exaggerating when I say he was the most impressive the reliever the Braves saw last year when he was with the White Sox and the Angels. Came in though at 99 to 103. And Acuna couldn't catch up to his fastball. And Acuna can catch up to anybody's fastball. He was nasty. Yeah. And at 10 mil, setup men get that. Closers get way more. If you fall on the, you know, plan B where he doesn't make the rotation and he's in your pen, he can still deliver the value of that deal. And then if he winds up, 
you know, something clicks and he's a starter for you. I mean, you got a discount there too. So that's, that's not a bad price. Yeah. He's a starter in the past, but now he's a better pitcher. He said he's learned a lot of things. Brace told him, we're going to give you a chance. We're going to stretch you out in the winter and spring, give you a chance to start if that works better for us. But he said, I'm open to either. They didn't promise him anything, but they're going to give him a chance. And they got enough bullpen guys that if they need him as a fifth starter or the fourth starter, whatever, wherever he slots in there, they'll go that route. And you can always start him in the rotation and then move him to the pen later if you have an injury or somebody struggling. And I also see a scenario where he could start most or all of the season. Then you move him to the pen at the end of the year. And all of a sudden you got, boom, you got a guy coming in and airing it out because he'll, he'll probably moderate it a little bit as a starter. He's going to have to, but he could come in airing it out at a hundred plus in the bullpen going for one inning stints all of a sudden at the end of the year in the postseason. That's a potential huge signing there. Yeah, and I hate to admit it because I'm such a fan of real pitching. But like I said earlier, the zone's smaller now. And it, like if you watched uh, Dominguez on the Phillies pitch last year, there's half the time he came in, had a good inning with no clue where the ball was going because he just, he just had to get three in the box. He had to throw three strikes before he threw four balls because his stuff was so nasty. That's just where the game's trended to is that if you can have a guy throwing 101 that doesn't know how to pitch, I'm not saying this guy doesn't, but the odds are so much more in your favor throwing 101 than spotting up 92 these days. Okay. Still in November, 10 days after that, the Braves signed relievers Penn Murphy and re-signed Jackson Stevens to a split one-year deals. Murphy, really interesting one, man. They expect him back from the all around the All Star break. He had Tommy John in June with a reliever. It doesn't usually take as long, obviously, as a starter because they're building him up for one inning. This guy's got a two seven zero ERA and eighty major league appearances over the past two seasons, ninety two strikeouts and eighty three and third innings. He's only twenty nine. He's not even arb eligible yet. Another of those under the radar moves. Yeah, I don't know too much about this guy to be honest with you. I, this is one of the moves that just slipped past me. December third. Alex flips Cower, the guy they got for right. He flips into the Mariners along with pitching prospect Cole Phillips, who was hurt in his first year. They flip him for Jared Kelnick, Marco Gonzalez, and Evan White. They took on the bad contracts of Gonzalez and White so they get Kelnick for the reasons we talked about earlier. Two days after that, they trade Gonzalez to the Pirates for a player to be named. Lana sent cash to cover much of the $12.5 million that Gonzalez was owed. Again, these are moves that Alex was willing to get to pay $15 million or whatever to get the five years of control on Kelnick. That's the way they look at it rather than eating these other contracts. And he balanced out with the sale move, getting 17th. Exactly. Two days after that, they sign another hard-throwing lefty, Angel Perdomo. They're going to have two Perdomos possibly in a few years. He's going to miss the 2024 season recovering from TJ. But the Pirates were unwilling to pay him to be out. They don't really have that kind of cash, and they didn't want to use the spot pay him to be out but he's got four years of control after that the Braves are willing to pay him to be while he's out he's 29 out of 372 ERA and 29 innings for the Pirates last year huge 37.6 strikeout rate and only a 9.4 percent walk rate 37 percent not or, strikeout okay, rate. I thought, okay yeah that's pretty Struck good out nearly 38 over 37 percent of the guys that he faced okay I thought okay yeah that's pretty good big arm yeah so that's another guy down the line, another lefty. I'm mean, getting all the lefties, man. Two other big signings late October and early November. They re-signed Pierce Johnson, who really impressed as a setup guy when he came over. They signed him to a two-year $14.25 million deal. And they re-signed Joe Jimenez to a three-year $26 million deal. I think we were both really impressed with Jimenez. Once he got past the back issue, they had traded for him the year before from the Tigers. And once they got past the back. He had had back surgery arthroscopic after the 2022 season, and he was he was healthy by third of the way into the season and half the way through the season. Nasty. Him and Pierce Johnson, both nasty. Yeah, Johnson's got the breaking ball, and Jimenez has, just has that fastball that plays up. You know, if even if you can read the swings when you watch him pitch, even if it says 96, it's, it's playing like 100. You see a guy miss right down the middle in a fastball count, and the hitter swings under it by an inch or two, that's a good fastball. That's what he's got. If you're a young guy in this organization, you're going, man, I got to be on top of my game to get a chance in this pen. Because barring injuries, you're going to have so many experienced power arms with more coming down the line. With Penn Murphy coming at the Ulster break, with the Perdomo coming next spring. I mean, this again, it's Alex always looking 
not just at right now, but being sustainable for long-term. Don't want to get caught with his pants down like he did in 2019 when they had to trade for three relievers at the trade deadline and give up more than they wanted to give up and not have control of those guys long-term. He wants to make sure this pen is loaded for now and for the future. Good moves, man. Not the kind of moves that people wanted when they wanted a frontline starter, but potentially more important when you got a pin like that. You don't have to have guys going six, seven innings on a lot of days. When you got a pin like that, four or five good innings will do it for you. Well, and I don't understand the we need a frontline starter guy thing. Like, is Freed or Strider not frontline starter? Exactly. Two of the top 10 starters in baseball, MLB Network just rated them. They were two of the top nine in their top 10. Freed and Strider, they go, we need an ace. No, you got two aces. You just forget because Freed was hurt a lot last year. People are like, yeah, he's always hurt. Ah, come on, man. A lot of pitchers are hurt a lot. And again, his hasn't been elbow or shoulder in the last few years. It's been weird stuff. Well, the blister thing, man, like he needs to figure that out. <laughs> I, need, I need you to figure that out. If I'm, if I'm one of your teammates and we're trying to win a World Series, I need you to figure out the blister thing because that is not like you don't hear that and think like, oh, you poor guy. It's like, I mean, can we get a solution to this thing? And, and obviously, you know, I'm not saying Max hasn't tried, but there's got to be something we can do to not get these blisters and miss months at a time. And last year of his contract, because they haven't signed him yet to an extension and they just they avoided arbitration with him, getting 15 mil, you got to know he's going to come out. Not that he's not always motivated, because he is. Max Freed's the type that is. But he's going to do everything he possibly can to stay healthy and have a big year because he's got a lot riding on it, whether that's with the Braves or someone else. If they don't sign him to extension, which after going up you know, do an arbitration route, I don't know. It seems like it's a little late in the game for that to happen unless they both sides come to an agreement midseason, which could happen. But free agency at this point, he's taking on all the risk. I would see him going to free agency and testing the waters because if he has a healthy year, goes 170 innings, has a normal max free year. Five or six years, guaranteed. Even at 30, he's going to get – look at some of the contracts that guys in the 30s got this offseason, pitchers. He has a big year. He's going to get $25 million at least in a long-term, a five-year deal, four- or five-year deal. He could get $100 million or more easily. For me, there's a lot more hope in Max's case, or if you're a fan of the team, I think there's a lot more hope that a pitcher will sign that contract once the season starts versus a position player because you know as a pitcher there's just any minute you can feel that pop. Position players, you get a position player to opening day, they're gone. Right, and he knows better than most how fragile it is. Yeah, yeah, he's been through it. He's already had Tommy John. And the blister thing that he can't control, that he hasn't been able to control. So all that, yeah, so I agree. He might be more amenable to a long-term deal and go, you know what? I'm tired of worrying about my future. It'll be nice to get that done. Then not have to worry if I get another blister or whatever, what it's going to mean for my next contract. Into left field, well hit, strawberry back at the wall. Another home run for Andrew Jones. A two-run homer, a three-run homer. And all of a sudden, it's eight to nothing Atlanta here in the third. Hall of Fame stuff. Next Tuesday is the announcement on this year's the 2024 class for the Hall of Fame. I think you're going to get three guys in this year, man. More importantly, for the Braves fans, Andrew Jones continues to make progress. I don't think he's going to get in this year, but he's getting really close. Gary Sheffield's polling at 79% right now, but it's Gary's 10th year on the ballot. Last year, that's all you can get. It used to be 15. Now it's 10. And given that you usually file 5 or 6% when all the uh, undisclosed ballots come in, the guys who don't make them public, they usually drop about 5 or 6, 6%. Most of these guys do. So I think Gary's probably going to be on the outside looking in. He's not going to get the 75%. I could be wrong. Probably not going to get in. But Andrew Jones and Billy Wagner both have multiple years left. Billy's in the ninth year on his. I think they're going to get in, man. I've said that about Andrew when he really started making progress a couple of years ago when people started looking a little close, deeper into his into his numbers, analytics, the war. Ten straight gold gloves and over 400 home runs. I mean, this guy should have been in on the first, second, third ballot. It's crazy that he's not in yet. You tell me Ozzie Smith belongs in the Hall of Fame and he got in early because he's so great defensively at shortstop. He couldn't hit. This is Ozzie Smith center field with 400 homers. Exactly. This is the greatest or one of the two or three greatest center fielders of all time. Willie Mays told him you're the best defensive center fielder I've ever seen. Willie Mays said that to Andrew Jones. Ten straight gold gloves, and he averaged 34 home runs during that 10-year span. And the thing that's been a knock on him in the past 
is people said, yeah, but he fell off at age 30. Yeah, but you got to look that he debuted at 19. He debuted at 19. If he debuts at 23, like a lot of these guys, then he falls off at age 33 or 34. People don't look at that. And I think when people started reconsidering that, uh, that point, a guy like J- uh, Jason Stark has voted for him this year for the first time. And I think some people are realizing you got to take into account that he debuted at 19 and hit two home runs in a World Series, you know, against the Yankees at Yankee Stadium at 19. What a difference of playing 162 center field in the majors versus a shorter season in the minors as far as your durability and longevity goes. Like, it's a different game that you're playing in the majors. It's, it's harder on the body. Just for that alone, and whenever I think about it, I'm like, any time that you talk to former players, and this is the big one why I think even if he didn't get in by voting, he's in for sure when the players get a stab at it. Oh, yeah. Anytime you talk to people about the best center fielder they've ever seen, and I'm not talking, you know, some guy that's watched a few games like Terry Pendleton, you know, longtime major leaguers that have seen decades of baseball, they don't even hesitate to say Andrew Jones is the best defensive center fielder I've ever seen. Smoltz, Maddox, Glavin, all of them give him credit for helping them get in the Hall of Fame. If he doesn't get in, it'd be a shame, but he would get in on the error committee, but he'll get in. You know what? This is the seventh year on the ballot. He's still got three more, and the progress he's made in the last few years would point to him getting in next year probably. He's just below 72% now, so if he ends up around 67, 68, usually guys who get that close get in the next year, but he'll damn sure get in with three more years going because you're going to clear out, like I said, three guys this year probably. Adrian Beltre's definitely going in, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's at 99% right now, basically. He's going to go in. I didn't realize Beltre was that high. So he'll probably end up around 97, 96, somewhere like that. Maybe 95 at least. Joe Maurer, he's another that's going to go in first ballot. He's at 83% today, so he's almost certainly going to go over 75. He's going to get in first ballot. Todd Helton's at 82%. He's going to make it. This is sixth year on the ballot. I think he'll make it too. You're going to have three guys. That's a hell of a class there, along with the guys who go in on the Veterans Committee, the Era Committee, and Jim Leland going in on that committee. So that's a nice class. Then you got Carlos Beltran. He's at 66% on his second year on the ballot. He'll probably make it like Andrew was a couple years ago. Beltran will probably make it in the next two or three years. Andrew, I think, makes it as soon as next year. Billy Wags, ninth year on the ballot. He's at 79%. It's great to see, man. That means he'll probably get in. Probably going to finish about 73, 74 this year. Barely miss it and then get in next year on his final year on the ballot. But I think he's going to get in for sure. You pitched with him in his last year, age 39 with the Braves in 2010. He had a 1-4-3 ERA that year, the lowest in baseball among pitchers with 70 appearances or more. Average 71 games at 38 years old. 13.55 strikeouts per nine innings at age 39. Made his seventh All-Star team that year, helped Atlanta reach the playoffs. Then he got hurt in the division series. Kimbrell steps in, the rest is history. But Billy Wags could have made a few more million for sure if he wanted to pitch. He obviously could have kept pitching. But this is a guy that's all about principles, all about he was going on to be with his family. He's now coaching baseball in Virginia, back home, lives on a farm in Virginia, coaching at a boarding school. And he's got kids playing sports, playing college baseball, minor league baseball, I think. You got to love Billy Wags, man. He's a man of principle. Name a nastier lefty reliever you've ever seen. Just try that game. And convincingly tell me there's been a nastier lefty reliever that you've ever seen that played until 38 and was good every single year. Uh, You can't do it. And people that look at the innings total would be the lowest in the Hall of Fame. So what? The game's changed. Closers back in the day were going an inning, two innings, three innings sometimes. It's a different game. They were going a lot more innings. Billy went was one of the first guys that was just going one inning every time out, blowing guys away, pitching one inning at a time. Had some injuries and still pitched over 900 innings and was utterly dominant till the very end. Your kid gets on MLB The Show and creates a left-handed reliever. Puts him at 99 overall for his fastball, 99 slider. Dude stays healthy. You just built Billy Wagner. I mean, you cannot build a better left-handed reliever than that. And it's not like he doesn't have the knock of didn't do it long enough or didn't tally up the saves. He's got, what, is he the second most all-time for, for saves on lefties? It's something like that. He's sixth in career saves, 422 behind Mariano Rivera, Trevor Hoffman, and Lee Smith, who are all in the Hall of Fame. And he's behind Francisco Rodriguez and John Franco, who are not. His 903 innings will be the fewest of a Hall of Fame pitcher, but his 2.31 ERA trails only Mariano Rivera among Hall of Fame relievers. 
0.998 whip would be the second best in the hall next to Addie Joss, who has, who has been dead for 112 years, as uh, as our guy Tyler Kepner wrote when he wrote a great story about Billy Wagner, which I would urge everyone to read. It's in The Athletic. goes through the whole history, the amazing story about how he's right-handed, can't even write left-handed, but started throwing left-handed when he broke his right elbow at age five and broke it twice in a year, started throwing left-handed against the barn or whatever, playing catch with his friend. And that's how he became a left-handed reliever, even though he's right-handed. <laughs> I wouldn't want to see what he could do from his natural side. But for me, being a reliever myself, Billy was probably minus like that short stint Johnny had that year. And I wouldn't even say Johnny was better than Billy, but one guy that I watched left-handed that competed with him. But Billy's the best left-handed reliever I've ever seen. And I watched him at 38, 39 years old. What's the point of the Hall of Fame if you're not going to tell the story of of these guys like this that are that probably for the rest of my life, if anybody asks me, who's the nastiest lefty you've ever seen? Billy Wagner. Yeah, and not a whiff of controversy. He did it through a steroid era. I mean, those that ERA and whip are ridiculous in strikeout rate. Under one whip in the <laughs> steroid era. Right? Yeah. I mean, come on. That's a no-brainer. He should have been in already. But anyway. All right, that's it. We'll come back and do another show Tuesday night after the Hall of Fame announcement. That one's going to be on YouTube. You guys can watch us. And uh, we appreciate your support. Again, we got merch coming out. Got a lot of things planned. We appreciate it. And hope you guys enjoy the show. Make sure I say it right. It's 7.55 forever. Because that will forever until somebody comes along and breaks that record clean, which ain't going to happen. And nobody's going to do what Hank did. Game's changed. We appreciate it. 755 forever. We are out. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.